You're listening to Car Seat Questions, a podcast for parents of curious kids. I'm Lauren. And I'm Eddie. And if you're anything like us, you either have a kid or you care for a kid with questions. Questions about all sorts of things. So for the next half hour, hop into the passenger seat, buckle your belt, and become childlike with us as the Lord takes us where he wants us to go. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Car Seat Questions. My name is Eddie Cuevas, and I have the pleasure of serving as the Contracts and Rights Manager for Moody Publishers. And across the table from me is my lovely wife, Lauren. Lauren, tell us a little bit about what you do. Hi, I am the coordinating producer for Mornings with Brian at Moody Radio Cleveland. Wonderful. So today... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It is. It is. Uh, So today we're going to be having three conversations uh, they're going to be centered around the development of children. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about spiritual development, cognitive development, and emotional development. Yeah, we want to have these conversations because as we dive into questions with kids, we really want to understand how kids process information at different stages of life, whether that's spiritual information or just emotional and just the world around them. So we had a conversation with three people just to talk about all sorts of things. So that's what you're going to hear today. And I think what this episode is going to give us a a good approach on how we answer all types of questions that we'll be talking about uh, during this first season. So the first person we talked to was Randy Isola. Now, full disclosure, I didn't know who Randy was. <laughs> so thankfully, we have a great team because the other host knew who it was. And so Lauren um, talked to us about who is Randy? What does he do? And why did we ask him to be on this podcast? Yeah, you'll hear in the episode, I literally, he was the first person that came to mind to talk about spiritual development of children, um, just because he's dedicated his whole life and career to that work, to children. And I've really admired his work. He was, uh, I think, the children's pastor when I was uh, going to attending that church growing up. And I was in middle school, high school at the time. So he wasn't directly my pastor, but I did serve in the children's ministry. And so I had a lot of interaction with him in that way. And now he's moved on to be the senior director of overall next gen. So overseeing youth and children at that church. And I now our son goes to that church and is under, you know, the direction of Randy and his teams and has just been really impacted by that. And that was such a scary thing for us to like send our son to church he was a covid baby and just you know separation is hard for kids and the way that the teams at this church christ community church really just welcomed him was like overwhelming for me as a mom just he no tears welcomed and excited to see them the next day he already calls them his friends and he only sees them (laughs) once a week but they're his friends and they have an impact on his life already and he's just been going there a short time I think this first conversation was a good one to set the table for all the podcasts because as Christ followers, it's important to talk about um, why we follow Christ and how do we approach this uh, with our children and how do we talk to them about spirituality and Christianity in a way that they can understand because they have a lot of questions, and without giving too much details, uh, 
Randy has a great story about a question uh, that one of his kids asked him while they were just uh, doing laundry, as he as he recalls it. So we're just going to tune in and listen to that clip. Thanks for joining us, Randy. Happy to do it. It's a pleasure to be here. I know that you didn't believe me, but truly, you were the first person that came to mind <laughs> when we were talking about how to develop a child spiritually. And I just have really admired your how long you've been in next gen ministry. And it's not, it wasn't just like a stepping stone for you. I think a lot of people can just like, oh, I'm going to be with the kids and then I'll grow up and be with like the senior pastor. But I've really admired that you have a heart for and are vested in children's lives. So that's kind of like why we wanted to talk to you today. And I do. I, I genuinely believe that when you impact a child or a student, it has long-term and obviously eventual eternal impact. So uh, I think the more people take that seriously, whether it's in the church or in the home and try and do it really well, the better. So that's why I've dedicated my life to doing that. And Randy, that that really stuck out to me in your bio, um, where you say that uh, you believe to lead or, or join endeavors impacting kids and students for Christ is one of the greatest internal investments anyone can make. Can you uh, just unpack that a little bit as to what that uh, what that means for you? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you look at the fact that there's been plenty of research done about um, the value of reaching children when they're young and what that means for them long term and the effectiveness and the impact of investing in reaching children versus waiting until, you know, people are into adulthood and um, things that talk about how, what, at what age a person's worldview gets set. And that's generally pretty young. So obviously as a Christ follower, uh, my belief is that whether somebody chooses to follow Jesus or not is the most important decision that they're ever going to make. And so the more young people we can help to make that decision and the earlier we can help them to make that decision so that it is something that they live the rest of their lives, the better. Yeah. Do you have like a story of when, I don't know, maybe one of your sons or even someone from like in Sunday school asked you a question and you were like, um, how do I answer that question? Like it was a way bigger question than you expected a child to have. Do you have a story like that? Yeah, I think, you know, we get questions like that all the time. I think, um, in our, in our church context, as we're putting kids around leaders, whether those leaders are students or whether those leaders are adults that are working with students, I think people are often surprised at the spiritual depth of questions that kids ask. I think people are often surprised at uh, sometimes the difficulty and the hardship of life situations that kids and students are dealing with. Um, so there's a fair amount of consistency of people having to navigate really big things with kids, again, whether it's life circumstance or theology. A specific question that comes to mind, I remember uh, it was involving 
one of my own sons, we were at home one day and, you know, we weren't, we weren't, it wasn't like we were sitting around having family devotions. It was just kind of a random interaction. And he looked at me and he said, Hey dad, do you love Jesus more than you love me? And he was probably in early elementary school when he asked me that question. And it caught me by surprise, again, partly because of the moment we were, you know, doing laundry or something, right? It was like just a random, normal family circumstance going on. Um, and the fact that he had been thinking about that, obviously, and processing that question without it being initiated. Um, and so I thought about it quickly and I told him, I said, yeah, I do. I said, I love Jesus more than I love you, more than I love your mom, more than I love anyone or anything. And the look in his face was a kind of a mixture of, I think that was the answer he expected. And at the same time, he was also a little hurt and a little disappointed that I was looking at him and just being very forthright and saying, yes, you're not the most important part of my life. But I was also able to explain to him that because I love Jesus more than I love you, I'm actually able to love you better than if I loved you most. Um, and so trying to help him see that when you follow Jesus, it impacts and changes every other aspect of your life. And so I can be a better husband. I can be a better father because I love Jesus the most. Um, I think that made him feel a little better when <laughs> I gave him some explanation as opposed to if I had just said, yep, I love <laughs> Jesus more than you. I'll see you later. So, um, so that was a question that I was, uh, I was glad he asked and gave me, gave me pause to think about, okay, how do I answer this truthfully? And encourage my son with that and not crush him with that. We had this conversation several months ago with Randy, and I wish you guys could see our faces when he told us what the question <laughs> was. My mouth literally dropped. Uh, what a hard question to answer. Because, yeah, we all do. Well, maybe not all, but we should love Jesus more than our families. But what like a hard question to have to answer your elementary school age child. And I, it, like I said, it was months ago, but I've thought about this conversation with Randy many, many times since then. Just the impact of that conversation for me has stayed with me for a while. And just what the types of things that kids think about and we have no idea what they're thinking about until they ask. Yeah, I, um, when I, when I heard the question uh, that Randy talked about, I, I immediately imagined, hmm, if my son was to ask me this question, <laughs> what would his face be like? <laughs> yeah. According to the answer I'd give him, because uh, that is a tough question. That is a tough yeah. question. And again, something important that Randy talks about is like, as he's thinking, because you're like, he's on the spot, right? And he, he's not like, yeah. oh, well, I'll come back to you, son, when I'm ready to answer your question. You know, because mm -hmm. again, it's the, the setting is just a, a very, just like informal thing where they're you know, just like hanging out, you know, mm -hmm. as father and son. And um, one thing that was important that he talked about was like, how do I answer this without like 
crushing my son's like spirits. Yeah. You know, because I, that, that, that's like another thing that we as not just parents, but as adults, like when we talk to children, like our words matter mm-hmm. and what we say and how we say matters. And so I think like something that I took away from that is like when I'm talking to our son, how I say things to him is going to have a significant like impact on his life long term. The next person we talked to was Elizabeth Smith, and she talks a lot about the brain development of a child. So really what's going on in the life of a child from when they're born into when they're like in middle school, high school? How does their brain change and develop and how do they start understanding information differently, intaking information differently? And she really just talked about even just the study of the brain and like the origins of that with us, just so that we can go into this series of questions with how do we know what a kid is understanding? Like, how do I, how can I change my language with a child to help them understand what we're talking about for whatever stage of brain development they're at? Y'all listen, (laughs) I am an Enneagram five. Shout out to my fivers out there. I was gobbling this information (laughs) up. (laughs) Um, Just because, again, just with, I love learning. I love learning about intricacies, about anything. And when you're talking, when you put brain and science together, I am just like all here for it. And um, we didn't do a lot of talking, but it was a lot of good information that we were able to uh, just soak in yeah. um, and just learn about a part of, you know, a child's development that we knew little to nothing about. In this series, uh, we are finding it important to talk about the heart, mind, and soul of a child. And today we have the pleasure of talking with can I call you Elizabeth? Please do. Yes. <laughs> that would be uh, my name. We have the <laughs> pleasure of speaking with uh, Elizabeth Smith today as we talk about the mind development of a child. Yeah. Elizabeth, can you share with us about your background, what you're teaching here at Moody, who yeah. you are? Yeah, happy to. So I'm Professor Elizabeth Smith, and I'm the program head for Children and Family Ministry, and I am the field chair for education and counseling. So I work with human services, uh, pre-counseling majors, elementary education, and children and family, which I get to lead that whole program, which is great. Uh, Then I get to do some study abroad trips here, which I love, and Lauren and I have connected on that. I've written a book called God never changes, but my family always does. But um, I love working with our students here at Moody and being able to help prepare them to work with kids and their families, however they may want to do that, whether it's in counseling or the church or education. But if you have a heart to reach the next generation for Christ, my job is to help them be able to do that. So that is what I get to do here. I'm an LCPC, which is a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. Um, and so I get to train counselors to how to be counselors. And I especially get to work with those counselors who want to work with kids and families that are going through tough times. So that is kind of what I do. What else would you like to know? What about your family? I do have a family. So here, this whole thing we'll talk about with the mind and everything. Yes. i already done this. <laughs> They're all raised and they are all young adults and married. So we've been blessed. We had three children or we do boy, girl, boy. So mm-hmm. we are 
empty nesters of only a few months, and we both miss them, but we love them too. So, but Brian and I have been married 33 years. Um, have our three kids. They're all raised and married and off in ministry. We're very blessed that they know Jesus. Mm -hmm. So we get to do that. And my husband's a pastor. So I'm a pastor's wife on top of all of that. And we've been in ministry our entire married life. So, Yeah. yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing with us. Of course. So a little bit about our podcast. This is our first episode and the whole podcast, we want to talk about how do you answer life's big questions for kids, Mm. whether theological or just life questions about what's going on in our world. And a lot of times, I mean, our son isn't quite asking these types of questions yet, but as we prepare, like, how do you answer these questions for kids? And so today in our first episode, we're wanting to talk in three different ways. How do kids develop um, in their mind, which is what we'll talk with you about, like their brain. How does their brain develop and what they know and Mm -hmm. can understand? And then we're going to talk about how do they develop their feelings and emotions? And then also how do they develop spiritually in their souls? How do we kind of come alongside our children in this whole process of them becoming people. Of course. So I just want to say, as an Enneagram 5, I am all about <laughs> the knowledge and the science. So lay it on us, please. Oh, when I'm I, excited. When, we, when I heard that we were doing you know, heart, mind, and soul, I was like, man, when the brain science comes, I am just going to be mm. as curious as listeners. Excellent. Because, uh, again, that's a, another unique thing about this podcast is mm-hmm. that um, we get to be as curious as people who are going to be mm-hmm. listening to this in the future. Uh, so I'm just excited. Uh, just to learn and hear what you have to say. Well, I'm an Enneagram 7, so I'm so happy Mm. I get to be with you in person. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm all about the relationships. Um, But I do love studying this, and I've studied it, as I said, for many, many years now. Um, As uh, There's just a lot of science that has come out. And actually, a lot of the science in the last five years, we've learned through what happens to kids when they've gone through trauma. So that's a whole other episode, though, right? So that's a whole other thing. But what we've gleaned from the kind of research, um, and it actually started, well, we have a lot of neuropsycho kind of information about it. A long time ago, there was a theorist called Jean Piaget. It's fun to say because he was French. Um, And he was fascinated by his children. And as he watched them, he realized that as they grew in age and stature, they actually began to make different decisions and they would respond to things differently. And so he began the systemized observation of children to figure that out. And then he added some scientific research on it. And he basically came up with saying in those first year of life, infancy, and then you could look at the next stage of life, toddler and early childhood. And that's the second stage where you're all in. And then the third would be elementary and then going into early adolescence. And then your fourth and last stage is actually adolescence and all the mm. way through adulthood. Yeah. But if you look at that, three out of the four stages that he identified all happen basically by the time you're 11. Wow. And two of it, half of that brain development happens by the time you are five years old. Wow. It is. Uh, there was another research that says 90% of your brain development takes place in the first five years of life. And the last 10% actually just builds on that. We see a radical change when they enter adolescence. Mm -hmm. That's huge of what happens to the brain. But if you think about that, those first five years of life and then going into middle childhood, which is your third stage, how important is it for us to understand how does this human life work just practically, physically? Um, A verse that I would bring up is in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is rebuking the church. 
they're kind of, if I was going to write a commentary on First Corinthians, it would be the church that's one big hot mess. <laughs> that's what they are. They made more bad decisions than you can imagine. And he finally, one of the things he said to them is, God is a God of order. He is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And if we take that to heart on who God is, mm. we see that in the development of the human being. Mm. So for our children, as they are born, and then we watch them develop all the way, and let's just pick from birth all the way through elementary school. So before they go into middle school, we see this massive change, but it's orderly. And it's actually what we would consider universal. Mm. So no matter what country you're in, what historical period, God has a blueprint of how we are created, and you're going to see that again and again. What's nice about that is we can actually begin to predict, predict things. So if we study typical human development and typical meaning the majority, we would look at the majority of, of how we develop as people. I do want to give a shout out to our precious families who have children that are atypical in their development. So we're looking at neuroatypical, and this may be because they were born with a rare genetic disorder, or maybe something happened while the child was young. But in other words, these are our children who have special needs because they have atypical development. So what we're going to talk about today is, again, that typical development, knowing, however, also that children come in different packages, right? Different personalities, like you're a five, I'm a seven, Lauren, what are you on the Enneagram? Six. You're a six. Oh, look at this. Five, six, five, six, seven. <laughs> we're like the perfect team right here, right? Um, but we're different. So we do perceive and process information differently. Mm -hmm. I will tell you this. It is easier to change a child's IQ than it is their personality. Mm. Mm -hmm. It is easier to change that child's IQ. But knowing that then, we understand they're going to process information differently because of their personality. But if they have more typical development, we can kind of predict what they're going to be doing, what they're going to be saying, how they're going to be processing things. And if we understand that orderly pattern, then that can take <laughs> some of the pressure off yeah. of parents because I know where they're at and where they're coming from. Hearing that, one thing that really sticks out to me is when she's talking about most of a child's development is happening in his first five years of life. Yeah. Right? We have almost a three-year-old son at home, and you're telling me that most of his cognitive development is happening right now. Mm -hmm. And just given, you know, the state of the world and just how much time parents have been spending at home with their children, and sometimes yeah. I feel like, man, we're just sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> we're just sitting here not doing much, but his brain is still going. You know, yeah. it's just like, man... That is that was just really enlightening for me, and I don't feel like I need to be like doing stuff with him all the time. But it's just it gives me uh, some insight, right, on mm -hmm. on what's happening in his in his little brain, in his little body. Yeah, we've even seen like, you know, at this age they start playing more independently, and they just like create their own little worlds and watching them play by themselves. And what are they making up in their brains that they're like little cars are doing, little trains back and forth, and they're just like making up. A world around them because they're intaking so much information at this age. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the conversations he has on himself is what really get me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The third and final person we talked to just to get our heads wrapped around cognitive, spiritual, and emotional 
you know, development of a child was Brooke Irvin, who actually is my sister. Yay. Yay. She is a, <laughs> a counselor and she has spent much of her time counseling children and families and families that have had some traumatic things happen to them. And so she spent a lot of time in the emotional world of a child. And our big question for her was, why are the emotions of children, why do they feel so big to us? Like, why does taking a toy away that we've told you we're going to take away just make this absolute meltdown? Even if it means like we're taking the toy away so that we can go to the park. But it's just they're so their emotions are so big. And so that was kind of our main question for her is a lot of times, you know, we hear about the terrible twos or sometimes even say like even the terrible threes or worse. But like, why does it feel like that for us? Yeah. And I think um, with talking with Brooke, it was helpful to get an understanding uh, that children are, are oftentimes misunderstood, right? Because we we see and experience tantrums as like negative or bad mm-hmm. behavior when it's actually healthy yeah. behavior and it's healthy development for them. And But for us, it's, oh, why is this child acting out? Why is this child behaving in this way? And a lot of it can be tied to their overall emotional development. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to hear uh, a brief clip about our conversation with Brooke. In this segment, we are going to be focusing on the heart, mind, and soul of our children because we think it's important in order for us to begin to help answer the questions that they have for us as they as they grow up. And today we have a very special guest, Brooke Irvin, uh, who I am blessed to call my sister-in-law. Uh, so Brooke, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do for work? Hi, yeah. Um, well, I am Lauren's sister, <laughs> and it's the best. Um, but I'm also a therapist. I live and work in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I have a master's of science in clinical counseling and I am a licensed professional clinical counselor. Um, and I work primarily with trauma and I work with women, adolescents and kids and families. Um, I'm married to my husband for the last 14 years and we have three kids, nine, six and four. Great. Thanks. We kind of want to talk to you about uh, emotions and feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just, I think we can all of us who are parents, even people who aren't parents that just like are around kids, um, can see in kids that they just have these really huge emotions, mm-hmm. but tiny little bodies. Yes. We often talk about like kids' emotions are bigger than their bodies, but what does that actually mean? Because I know practically, like, oh, they just have these. They just have a lot of emotions, but what does it actually look like for their feelings, their emotions to be so big? Well, I mean, part of that is, you know, they're born with their emotions. They're all mm. there. So, you know, itty bitty people still have anger and happy and sad and yeah. they're, they're all there fully developed. And what isn't developed is the ability to regulate those. Mm. So um, what they have to learn through various stages of growth is how to regulate their brain, to think logically, how to be adaptable, how to have emotional skills, how to have relational skills. All of those mm-hmm. things are there. But at the core, those emotions are still there. Yeah. And they have no ability to go, 
it's going to yeah. be okay. Like, yeah. They have no ability to tune in and recognize, hey, mom said one minute. And when she says one minute, she means one minute and she shows up one minute later. Yeah. You know, um, they don't have any framework for that you are regulated, that you can, you can help them regulate themselves. They can't see anything outside of their own perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, their emotions unregulated, any of us completely unregulated would be off the chain. Mm-hmm. It, you know, think about the, t- the time you're walking down the street and someone, you know, elbows you and you're like, mm. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, you elbowed me really hard and I want you to say I'm sorry. And you have yeah. like all these justifying things. Can you imagine if that was unregulated and you didn't like have societal norms or yeah. the ability to calm yourself down and the ability to realize like oh, it's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And that's where they're at. They don't know how to regulate their emotions. That part of their brain hasn't developed yet that they're not logically online. Um, so... They can't think logically. They don't have relational skills, emotional skills, insight, adaptability. Um, they're they're not able to tune into their body, and that's what we have to teach them. So they just have the core raw emotions disconnected yeah. from everything mm-hmm. else. How do we teach them to like regulate? I know that's like a really huge question. But, like, how do we teach them <laughs> to regulate their emotions mm-hmm. or like to find constructive ways to let their emotions out? I think we model it for them. We do mm-hmm. it with them. Um, we, you know, so if it's my kids exploding and they're wanting to run away, run to me, you're safe, you're safe, come here. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got you. Let me help you. Like, so I'm teaching you, you come to me and I will hold you and help you calm down. We teach them breathing. We teach mm-hmm. them, you know, hey, it feels really big in here. We identify it for us. So some of it's just, I'm going to identify this emotion. You mm-hmm. look really angry right now. How about we take some rest and see if we can calm down? So catching their emotions, identifying them for them and helping them learn, oh, when I feel this way, this is what I can do. Yeah. Um, or you seem really sad right now. Do you need a hug? And so some of that comes really naturally mm-hmm. for us as parents. We're like, I'm going to give you a hug. That seems really natural. Mm-hmm. Or you seem really happy. I'm going to be excited and hug and rejoice with you. Um, it's that it's the negative ones that we have to help learn, yeah. teach them how to regulate mm-hmm. and help them learn. I feel like it's just practicing because you could get a six or eight or 10 year old that had never been taught to regulate themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my kids didn't start off doing it, Yeah, you know, um, the first time I told my child, one of my children, I won't tattle on them, but like one of my children that was running off angry, actually like run to me instead, run to me. Um, and they ran to me and they hugged me and wrapped their arms around me. And I was like, squeeze me, squeeze me as tight as you can squeeze all of your big feelings out. I can hold them. I'm You're safe. And I'm telling them you're safe. I can hold them. They're okay. They're good here. Mm-hmm. And then I felt my child like breathe and their whole body relax. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I kept prompting it over yeah. and over. And then they learned, oh, and now without even thinking about it, this child runs to me when their feelings are big and they'll squeeze me tight. And for me, that's awesome because it's also a good indicator for me. Oh, their feelings are really big right now. They mm-hmm. don't know how to handle it. They're shutting down. They need help. Mm-hmm. So I've given myself that kind of built in. Yeah. Oh, come to me. You run and throw your arms around me and start squeezing me tight. I'm going to stop and pause and tune in and help you get through this. Versus if you run away. I'm cooking dinner. I'm chopping onions. Like I'm Mm -hmm. making all the things and I have to stop and pause and get to a space and then come chase you down and see what's going on. And I'm 1000% able and willing to do that. But if you run to me, I can help you regulate right here, right now. We can talk it out in the middle of whatever we're doing. I think what stood out to me most just right at the beginning of our conversation is Obviously, something like I know, but I didn't think about is children are born with their emotions. They're not like mini sized emotions. 
It's the same anger that I have. It's the same joy or frustration that I have. It's just their emotions are so like too big for their body. And so they have the exact same amount of emotions that I have. They just don't have the ways to regulate them or constructive ways to get those emotions out. Yeah, and I, I appreciated Brooke talking about how like we're supposed to model regulating emotions yeah. to our mm-hmm. children and that is a big task yeah. for parents and adults. But like you said, like they, they have the same emotions as us. Like think think about the times where you're just furious, mm-hmm. right? Or where you are heartbroken. Like they, mm-hmm. they feel those same types of emotions in those same capacities. Mm-hmm. Um and again we we've been tasked to help uh our children regulate and and work through these things. Um it's not something that we can just let them sort out themselves because they don't know how. That's overwhelming. Yeah. I really appreciated uh how she yeah how she talked about that. Cause it was it was very helpful. We're going to go into more parts of our conversations with our guests about what can I actually do? Because that's what we need. That's what parents need is I need tangible things to do in these conversations or in these big emotions or in this development of a child. And so we talk with Randy about what can I actually do when a child asks me really hard theological concepts? And we did the same with the rest of our guests as well. Yeah. And the the answer that Randy gave us was essentially you need to work you need to look, you need to look inward and work on and evaluate your own spiritual health and when when we're trying to teach someone else how to do something right we don't ever think about oh we need to check I need to check myself before I you know help somebody else and well Apparently we do. We <laughs> we need to be uh yeah, we need to be looking inward um and reevaluating our own spiritual health and seeing where we are in this area mm-hmm. uh so that we can help, you know, in in this conversation help our our children. How do you like prepare to even like I guess you can't really prepare for like things you don't know are coming, but how do you, how have you prepared yourself to answer these types of questions for kids? What do you, like, is there any like practice or things that you read or like blogs or people you look up to? Like, how do you prepare yourself for like these theological questions that kids have? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, all of the things you just mentioned is part of it. Obviously it starts with my own personal study of scripture. I think for Mm -hmm. any parent you know, you need to be in God's word consistently. You need to be learning and growing personally, just as a Christ follower. And then, then you can hand some of what you're learning to kids in the right way at the Mm -hmm. right time. Right. It's the same thing we tell people in church about being a small group leader, regardless of what age you're leading is you don't have to know everything. You just need to you know, hopefully be a little bit further along than the people that you're leading so that you can show them, Hey, here's what I'm learning. Here's how I'm living this. And then let's process it together. And I think in a lot of ways, it's the same as parents. We want to be growing spiritually um, and then be able to pass on to our kids. Here's what I've learned and here's how I'm wrestling with it. And here's how I'm living that out. And so in 
certain families, it looks different, right? Mm -hmm. For somebody who's been a Christian for a long time and they're just starting their family and they've got very young children, well, they probably know a lot more than their kids. But if you look at maybe a parent who just recently became a Christ follower themselves and maybe they've got teenage children, well, there's going to be a lot less of a gap between what I know and how I'm living and what I'm able to pass on. But that's okay. Like it's it's largely about how are we growing personally. So obviously starting with scripture and consistent worship and church and you know how are you learning and growing and then yeah reading reading things from other parents and getting around parents that are a little bit further along than you and asking them questions and learning from them so um and then just being okay with the fact that knowing no matter how much you study no matter how much you're trying to prepare on the front end there's going to be circumstances that come up. There's going to be questions that come up that you're not going to know the answer to. And being able to look at your kid and say, hey, that's a great question. I'm not sure. Let's figure that out together. Like, yeah. Let's see how together we can go and learn that. And for some parents, that's a real struggle to be, like, to be able to look at your child and say, I'm not sure. Um, but I think it goes... It goes further with kids to be honest with them when you don't know something and say, let's, let's figure that out together than to try and make it seem like you've got the right answer. And then you stumble through and then they recognize like, I'm not sure they really know what they're talking about. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) those are, those are some of the things that, that have been helpful for me. I think what's, um, convicting but is helpful is that we have to work on ourselves you know we have to be in the word ourselves we have to be thinking about these things ourselves in order to be able to teach our children these things we can't we can't just leave it up to the church to disciple our children the church obviously takes a huge huge part in that but we also have to take active roles in that and that means that we have to be working on our own spiritual lives first. Yeah, and I think there's also nothing wrong, kind of like what Randy was alluding to, is we just need to be open, right, and honest mm-hmm. and transparent with our children, and that's okay. You know, like I, I I, don't think there's anything wrong with us just with being honest and saying, hey, you know, I actually, I actually don't know. Let's figure this out together. Or, hey, this is what I'm working through, mm-hmm. or this is what I'm learning. Right, because again, it goes it goes back to the whole modeling uh, what it is that you're doing to to your kid, right? So that they so that what you're selling to them comes from a place of uh, just being genuine, right? And and kids can kind of sense that, I think, right? They they yeah. kind of know when, <laughs> yeah. when you know when people are are um, you know being someone that they're not, mm-hmm. you know, especially when you spend a lot of time with children, your own children, right? right. They'll be able to see right through that. Yeah, what's really interesting about the modeling part is that in our conversation with Brooke, she said the same thing. We asked her, what is so triggering about children's emotions to us? And her answer was similar to Randy's is that we have to turn inwards and we have to examine ourselves, examine our own emotions and our own upbringing so that we are equipped to help our children examine their emotions and regulate their emotions. So we're going to listen to that clip now.
think we often find uh well maybe i'll just speak for myself and not everyone um i often find that my son's emotions are incredibly triggering to me i um actually once i became a mom i started therapy because i was finding out that i was just like a really angry person and i would have never categorized myself as an angry person before but it felt like and this is probably not the reality but it felt like becoming a parent made me an angry person and so why is it that our kids emotions are so triggering to us yeah i mean i think this can come from a couple of different places um one is how are we parented mm-hmm. how are we responded to when we had emotions or, or we're being emotional um, and this can come from our culture, our cultural beliefs, um, the beliefs that are existing in our families around children, you know, whether that's like, oh, they should be seen and not heard or mm-hmm. they should always obey and I'm always in charge and I rule the roost and they comply or even faith environments. And, um, you know, whether that's many different faith environments and how children are to behave in the home and people take all different verses and use them the way that they want to use them. Um, and then just beliefs within the culture that we live in around children and how they're to behave in public or how they're to behave in these different environments. And so all of those have to be looked at. How were we parented and what were the beliefs that we were raised with regarding children and where they're supposed to be? Um, And we have to get healthy ourselves before we can help our kids get healthy. Um, If we aren't healthy, we're parenting from our history then from where rather than from where our kids are. Mm. Yeah. Um, and we are projecting our beliefs and our cultures and our norms and our childhood and even our attachment wounds onto our children. Mm. Um, and then I think after that, it comes down to worry and control. We worry and feel judged by our kids' actions and reactions. Mm. Um, so when we see their big emotions, oh, am I not doing a good enough job? What am I doing wrong? Yeah. Um, or... Why, why will you not let me do what I want to do right now? So we, we take that and make it personal. Um, if we're in, out in public, well, is someone else going to judge me? Mm. We fear society and their beliefs and care more about that than we do about nurturing the souls and the needs of our kids. Yeah. And we try to view them as grownups, even though they're not grownups and they don't fit in the grownup world. Yeah. And our, our culture, especially as in the U.S., does not do a good job of recognizing that kids don't fit into grownup culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. We're expecting them to have like adult emotions or adult actions. Yeah. Even though they're not there yet emotionally. That control piece is a big piece of it, I feel like. Yeah. You know, it's parenting and and kids like kids aren't neat and tidy Mm -hmm. and they don't love our tightly packed schedule and getting ready when we want them to and like out the door in five minutes. And why why aren't you tying your shoes quickly right now? And um, why did you want to run back upstairs for the thing that you remembered five times when I told you we needed to leave it this time <laughs> and all yeah. of these things, it's just, you know, we want to live on this like rigid clock schedule and get all these things done and live this hurried life. Mm-hmm. And kids aren't wired for that. I, f- I think sometimes from me in my brain, I'm like, don't you know that I, like, I know that and I'm trying to get to that, but I have to do all these hundred other things before we can get to that thing that you're yelling at me about. And so if, I think sometimes for me, it feels like, oh, he probably thinks I'm not thinking about him or I'm not caring for him. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, don't you know, I want him to understand that I know and I under like I'm going to care for him. It's just like there's 400 things that I have to do first. Yeah. And he sees his needs as first and primary. Yeah. And doesn't he, he can't see all of those big things. He doesn't have the scope or the, the brain yeah. development for it. There's no yeah. way he can see it. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if, if Lauren would agree to this, but when, when you become a parent, um, I used to be so annoyed when children would have tantrums in grocery stores. <laughs> I'd be like, oh my gosh, this parent needs to like take control of their kid. <laughs> now that I have one, um, I'm more like, ah, I feel for you. Like, yeah, I understand right? what you're going yeah. through right now. And, and it's okay, you know. And um, But again, like not having a child previously, I was like, well, like what, what is a parent doing wrong if the yeah. child's acting this way? Right. And they're not doing anything wrong. It's just the child cannot, um, they cannot... Um, explain like what's happening in their bodies in terms yeah. of emotions. exactly they're autonomous humans mm-hmm. yeah like they have their own will and agenda and you say we need to go to target to pick up paper towels and they're like but i don't want to i'm playing so i'm gonna be really grumpy with you the whole time mm-hmm. because i was having fun and you swapped my agenda without my consent yeah yeah and it's it, it's so interesting that you mentioned like a lot of it has to do with how we were parented and so like i grew up in a very traditional hispanic household as a as a male. And so there's a lot of uh, pressure, right, put on males. They can't express emotions, right? They can't cry. They have to be um, the strong person, quote unquote, what strong means. And so before Trey, right, it was like, well, Trey, like, you, you know, he like, he can't cry, right? He can't do this. He can't do that, which is like the opposite of what, like, he needs needs to do you know and as lauren and i have uh worked uh through this journey together with emotions right it was a total like generational shift for me it's like no this is actually healthy for him but it's still triggering to me because Mm -hmm. of how i was raised to deal with my emotions yeah Yeah, i think it's like it was so ingrained in you at such a young age that you shouldn't be doing those things Mm -hmm. and even though you know differently and you like cognitively, you know, it's okay for him to do that. It's still like so triggering to our emotions. And it's like weird the disconnect that our brains have from our emotions. Because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know that it should be okay for him to do these things, but it's so, it makes me feel crazy inside when he does. Mm-hmm. I remember sitting there listening to Brooke talk about this and, um, it was, uh, I don't even have a word to describe it, but it it spoke to me a lot just because of my own personal upbringing in regards to emotional health, mm-hmm. right? And um, for me, uh, emotions were not an easy thing to um, to navigate in my household. And so when... Lauren, when you asked the question, why is it so triggering to us? It would just like kind of like open up a whole new world and mm-hmm. understanding first my own emotions and my own triggers mm-hmm. um, and how to address them, right? So that we can um, help our son, yeah. right? Navigate and mm-hmm. regulate his own emotions. So at the end of each of our episodes, we asked our guests uh, the same question. And the question that we asked him was, what is one thing you would want your child to know about whatever the subject matter is that we're mm-hmm. talking about, right? So in this case, uh, spiritual health, emotional health or development, and cognitive development. And this is what they had to say. We have one final question for you. It's a question that we're going to ask all of our guests. What do you want your kids to know about their development 
But I'm going to change it and say, what do you want parents to know about their kids' development? Like the one thing you want parents to know. I would encourage parents to take a deep breath and realize that the word development means journey. And along that journey, sometimes um, I think of whitewater rafting. I actually loved doing that when our kids were younger and we had so much fun. There are times in that river where everything is wonderful and you're going right along. And then sometimes you come around a corner and you are not expecting those rapids or how big they were. Or sometimes there's something in the water and it just changes. You kind of just don't always know what's ahead. Mm -hmm. But even if you're in the whitewater rapids right now, it doesn't stay that way. You know, there's yeah. going to come a time. So it's there's an ebb and a flow to it, the unpredictable, and it's just a part of the journey. And what we get to do with our children is we get to come alongside of them in that journey, very prayerful, um, asking God to really work in their life, to know Christ as young as they possibly can. D.L. Moody said that if a child comes to Christ, a whole life is saved mm-hmm. versus waiting until they're adults. So yeah. pray. Be a part of that journey. Enjoy the journey. But it's a journey. Every moment in time doesn't define the end of that journey. So even if you blow it, right, on those (laughs) days when you're not going to be patient and you're about ready to pull your hair out, um, it's okay. It's a journey. Take it step by step and Mm -hmm. knowing that it's all teachable moments. Some you're going to get right. Some you won't. But uh, as long as you are on your knees praying, you're loving your child, enjoying them along the way. Take some of that pressure off. What do you want your kids or any kids in general to know about their emotions? They're normal. They're normal. Everybody has them. Yeah, we all have them and we all just have to learn how and when to express them. Mm-hmm. But like everything you're feeling is totally normal and and it's and you're allowed to have them. And like emotions aren't sinful. They're not bad. They're not wrong. Our reactions and our choices are what we have to learn to control. Our last question that we want to ask all of our guests that come on with us is, what do you want your kids to know about their spiritual lives and their spiritual development? What is like the one thing that you would want them to take away? Um, if there was one central idea or truth about God that I would want my kids to know, it's probably um, the combination of God's power and God's love. Um, The fact that God is all powerful and the fact that God is loving. And because he is both of those things at all times, he has you know what the way i the way i tell it to kids is if god were all powerful but weren't loving then he's just a dictator right he's got the power to do whatever he wants but doesn't do it out of a sense of love for us the reverse if god is all loving but doesn't have the power to enact anything then he's just you know he's friendly he's nice but can't really do anything on our behalf but because god is both all powerful and love he is able to do anything and he uses his power from a sense of motivation of love and goodness, right? He's a good God and he does good things. And so to take comfort in the fact to always remember that 
because God is all powerful, because God is love, to know that he's always working the fullness of his power mm. and the fullness of his love together to work out his best plan and purpose in our lives. And so no matter what's going on, when things are great and there's moments of celebration or when things are really hard and really painful to know that it's okay, that God's got it because he's all powerful. And when things are happening that I don't understand, I trust in his love combined with his power. So that's probably, if there's one kind of single truth about God that I'd want my kids and the kids at our church that I serve to know it's that God is all powerful, God is love, and he's always working the fullness of his power and the fullness of his love together to work out his best plan and purpose for their lives. When we had this conversation with Randy, I actually cried and I'm about to cry again. Um, I'm. It's just so sweet to hear his heart for children and what they what he wants for them and it really spurs me on to be a better spiritual leader of our son and to like grow him up in what is true of him because of what is true of christ so that really got me yeah and just thinking about how we can uh you know tell trey like hey god is always working out his plan for his glory. Like what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that again, yeah. Like what he's, what he said at the end was just very like special to me because God is always, he's all knowing, he's all powerful and he is always working uh, in and through us. Uh, sometimes for our benefit or sometimes uh, it's not at least how we view it, but for him it is all for his glory. Thanks so much for joining us today, you guys, and listening and starting to take this journey with us. I hope you enjoyed today as much as we did, and I hope that the episodes to come are fruitful for you and bring about just questions and answers that you may need answers to, just questions that you may need answers to, and we hope that you can continue to join us. Episodes come out every week on Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe and follow so that you don't miss an episode please feel free to leave a review for us um, wherever you get your podcasts. You're also welcome to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Carsey Questions. We'll see you next week. Bye.